When we look at the Old Testament, if we spend some time in the Old Testament, sometimes it seems that when God acted certain ways about certain issues, it seems very different than the New Testament. You know, sometimes when we look at the Bible, it can be confusing when we see examples of, like as an example of how God dealt with enemies. Especially when you're comparing Old Testament, New Testament. Seems that he does things very differently in the two, but in reality, there are many things that are the same. And though they have their differences, Old T, New T, if I could say that, they complement one another in many ways. You know, the Old Testament has many prophecies that are brought to fruition in the New Testament. The Old Testament speaks of the coming Messiah, and the New Testament reveals who it is, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, there's an emphasis on God dealing with his chosen people, their history. And in the New Testament, the emphasis is on his dealings with the church with focus on one person, Jesus The Old Testament records God's law being given, and the New Testament makes it absolutely clear that the law showed people, men, their need for a Savior. A Savior, Jesus Christ, who was going to fulfill the law, who fulfilled the law. In the Old and the New Testament, for both, the means of salvation is the same by grace through faith. And in the Old and New Testament, we see enemies against those who belong to God. There's obvious enemies. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people, the Jews, they had enemies. And their enemies, want, their enemies were his enemies. And God wanted to stop those enemies from influencing the Jews with their false practices, their false religions. And as an example, we know this, he told the Israelites to wipe out the idolatrous and depraved Canaanites. Why? For the protection of the Israelites. And of course, we also know that they didn't do that. They disobeyed him. Corruption seeped into the people. They suffered for it. Bottom line here, the enemies. Those who were wicked were enemies of God. But maybe I should even say... Those who were unrepentant and wicked were enemies of God. And I can say that because in the Old Testament and the New, God wanted people to repent. See, sometimes we have this image in the Old Testament of God coming through like a freight train. One mistake, you're dead. One mistake, you're dead. Wiping people out, wiping places out that he considered unrighteous. We see him as like distant, although he's involved, distant, kind of uncaring and casually just taking anybody out that was in the way. You see a lot of people, non-believers always refer to the Old Testament as very violent, a lot of bloodshed. You know, and they use that to speak against God, actually, not in favor of him. But that picture and image of God is not true. In Ezekiel 33, it says this, <clears throat> excuse me, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. 
Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? You see, God wants people to repent. He wants people to turn, do an about face. He wants them to come back to him and start to really live. Not exist. Not be playing in sin. Not being all about selfishness and their wants and their desires. You know what Michelle was saying? He wants people to do that. He wants people to come to him in the midst of the battle, in the midst of those things that are going on in your life that are horrendous. And he wants you to come with every mundane decision that we have to make. See, it's about walking in faith. It's It's not about how bad the situation is. For us, it's about how bad the situation is sometimes. Because when it's really bad, or we're facing mortality, or we're facing serious consequences, man, a little easier to go to God than we have to make that, you know, what we would consider mundane decision, direction. So God certainly loves people. He wants people to repent. As a matter of fact, God allowed Canaanites to repent and join, individual Canaanites to repent and join God's people. Rahab the prostitute was a Canaanite. She helped the Israeli spies, you know, the Israelites in Jericho. Not only was she in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but she's given as an example of faith in the New Testament. You see, concerning the pagan nations, God was just, but he was merciful. And they were certainly not ignorant of who he is, who he was, who he is, who he's going to be. You know, Rahab told the spies this. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sionog and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Listen, they weren't ignorant. They weren't ignorant of this God who just popped up out of nowhere. They knew the miracles he had performed. They knew the parting of the Red Sea. These are the Canaanites. They knew about the deliverance of the people from Israel. I mean, from Egypt, excuse me. They knew the unimaginable power it took to do what he did. And the word spread about it, and yet they wouldn't repent as a nation. And in God, in his grace... He gives them 400 years to turn from their wicked ways. And then the instruction came, wipe them out. He cares. He wants people to repent. Clearly, an enemy of God in the Old Testament is the unrepentant, wicked person. But he's a God who has never changed and gives sinners a chance to come back to him. He met his enemies with mercy and grace and righteousness and holiness, but always with justice. Can't skip that part. And really, it's the same in the New Testament. Here's where we get confused. How the Israelites saw their enemies how they viewed their enemies, what they thought should happen to their enemies. How we view our enemies. 
what we think should happen to our enemies. And for both, who is the enemy? Sometimes not so apparent. For the Jews in the Old Testament, some of the best examples of their attitude concerning the enemies is found in the book of Psalms, specifically in a type of psalm called an imprecatory psalm. No, to imprecate means to invoke a curse upon, to pray evil against. In these psalms, the author is calling down catastrophe and disaster and destruction and God's anger and God's judgment on his enemies. <clears throat> As a few examples in Psalm 58, 6, the author says, Break the teeth in their mouths. In Psalm 137, no, in Psalm 58, 10, he says, the righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Psalm 137, 9, happy is the one who seizes your infant and dashes him against the rocks. Breaking teeth, throwing babies against the rocks, all seems a little severe, right? And as Christians, it can be a little confusing because it doesn't seem to fit turning the other cheek. Doesn't seem to fit what the New Testament says about enemies. But for clarity's sake, you have to understand this about the Israelites. The enemy of God was the enemy of theirs. An enemy to a righteousness, an enemy to holiness, was an enemy to them. The people went to God who had protected them, had delivered them, had guided them, had instructed them, had chosen them to destroy those who were coming against them. And then therefore, in their minds, coming against God. When the author wrote these psalms, there's a big difference here. It wasn't about revenge and it wasn't about spiteful payback. You see, they were seeking God's justice, relying on his sovereignty and his protection. Their assumption is that his view was their view and therefore appropriate. And when we get to the New Testament, drastic difference. When we get to the New Testament, for those who are saved, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, born again, new creations, renewed minds. You know, we should see things through the eyes of Christ now. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We should be drawn to following his word, should be drawn to fellowship, drawn to his church. We're drawn to trusting him, relying on him. But even having said that, there's always going to be this choice for us. And this is going to come out, this is going to play in the New Testament. And this choice is to act in the flesh or to submit to the Holy Spirit. See, they treated their enemies as they thought God would treat their enemies. And we really should do the same thing, except we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. See, we face enemies that come against us just because we're followers of Christ. And sometimes that enemy is apparent, sometimes not. Sometimes we have to wade through false proclamation until the fruit tells us the truth. Sometimes we have to deal with wolves in sheep's clothing. but they get revealed in the end. And to make matters worse, sometimes there are those who are Christians, they belong to Jesus Christ, but man, they make the wrong choice. 
And then in a moment of weakness and in a moment of selfishness, they choose to go in a direction of self and desire and want rather than holiness. You know, I want to make something very clear here that if someone is a Christian and they choose to live in opposition to God, man, they are inviting the Lord's discipline. And for the rest of us, we're supposed to love them following God's word, which requires tough love. Sometimes. We are required not to jump in and try to and hinder God, what God's doing in their life. We don't want to jump into the role of the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to people who are doing the wrong thing. We don't want to encourage them. We don't want to support them. We don't want to lift them up. We want to share the truth with them and be there for them when they turn around and go in the opposite direction. When they repent. Listen, this is a struggle with human beings. I see the same struggle with salvation. I'm just going to call them five more times and they'll get saved. I'm going to share one more time because I know that she's going to accept Christ. I'm going to listen. You're jumping into the role of the Holy Spirit. You are not God. And you know what? God has given us his word to follow. So we don't do that. So we don't do that. We're getting a little more clear about that in a second. Listen, we need to remember there is a big difference between struggling with something, repenting and turning back towards God and choosing to live in opposition to God's word. (laughs) Ow! All right, who else wants to say ow? We'll pray for you right now. All right, so. Actually, I said I'll whenever. All right. <clears throat> we need to, as Christians, to understand that except by faith that those that do this and they want to live in opposition to God's word and they hadn't made a mistake and got back up and started walking forward in God, they haven't got back up because they don't want to walk forward in God. They want to walk forward in self. We have to accept by faith they're going to face chastisement. And the reason I keep hopping on this, because there's going to be suffering, there's going to be emotional pain, there's going to be physical pain. And our job is not to jump in and alleviate it. I see this. Somebody's doing the wrong thing and God's allowing something to happen in their life and people are foaming at the mouth to jump in and to stop them from suffering. And God's going. Listen, when you're doing that, hear the wake up call. You're working against God. And you are not helping your brother and sister in Christ, although it makes you feel better. Your action can make it worse. Because if they're in sin and they're suffering for it and you want to take away the suffering, uh, why would they leave their sin? And God's shaking his head. (laughs) 
When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church about a brother who was being sexually immoral, he said this. Corinthians 5, when it's actually put that there's sexually morality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate, man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud? Explanation point. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Listen, this guy was involved in immorality. He refused to change his ways. And not only does Paul say, throw him out, get him out of the fellowship, but he slams the church. And why does he slam the church? Because they're putting up with it. They're accepting it. And it's not okay. And we don't know why. Maybe he was well liked. But by accepting it, they're supporting his action and what he's doing. By being quiet, they're supporting his action by what he's doing. By turning a blind eye, they're supporting his action by what he's doing. Listen, we are in the, we are in the house of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of God. We are not the world. We can't use all those excuses because we don't like conflict. It's the truth. says, don't fellowship with him. You know, in the Old and New Testament, God wants people to repent. He wants them to change their mind. He wants them to come back to righteousness. Righteousness. He gave the Canaanites 400 years. They wouldn't do it. He paid the price. In the New Testament, when the disciples were answering those naysayers who were questioning why Christ hadn't returned in 2 Peter 3, 9, they say this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's the same. How much do we value repentance? Do we value repentance more than keeping the peace? I'm not sure for some. Listen, we know that those who don't have Jesus Christ in their lives and they die, eternal damnation. But we also know this. For those who play in the mud and they're involved in sin and they're doing their own thing, some sort of chastisement. Why? Because God loves them. They belong to Jesus Christ. He's not going down without a fight. He's going to make a point. He wants people to turn back to him. He has a plan for everyone sitting here. There is no excuse. Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, he has a plan for everyone sitting here. And he does not like that sin hinders his plan. Because it hinders us. Man, I wish when we sing these songs that it could be 110% true. I want all of you and none of me, clean house, empty the vessel, fill it with your Holy Spirit. 
But for some, we're scared for what God wants us to do or what he's going to ask us to do. So we don't go there. And here's another, be careful. Listen, and I'm not, we're not getting into spiritual gifts or any of that stuff tonight. But some spiritual gifts, if you're not using them correctly, you're going to want to alleviate someone's pain. You're going to want to run in. And you're thinking you're working for the Lord, and you're not. In this case, with this brother... Evidently, he learned his lesson. He submitted to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 2.6, Paul said, The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. A couple things we know here. He wasn't coddled. Put him outside the fellowship. He repented. We don't know what he went through, but he chose Christ. And he was allowed to return. Listen, a large part of dealing with enemies is knowing who your enemy is. And this gets a little gray area because if someone is truly saved and not doing the right thing, you know, when you look into the words, it says they're the enemy of the word because they're going in opposition to God's word. But are they the true enemy? Because really they are sealed by the Holy Spirit and they are a child of God and they're doing the wrong thing. We should be absolutely overwhelmed with grief when someone's in that position because it's part of us hurting. It's part of us hurting. We have to be careful that we're not so compartmentalized and isolated and living in our own lives and being the frozen chosen in New England that we don't ever know what's going on with brothers and sisters in Christ because what hurts them should hurt us. We are spiritually connected. We are spiritually connected. We should care. We should care. And we should also let our walls down because when we're hurting and we need help, we should reach out. Oh, I don't know if I should go here, but I'm going to go here. So listen, if you are hurting and you don't reach out and no one knows and no one can step up and no one can assist you and no one can help you because they don't know, That's your problem. That's your problem. People are willing to help and reach out and call and do all this stuff, but people have to be willing to ask and and to show that, listen, in our weakness we find Christ's strength, right? And in our weakness, Nate gets blessed because he gets to step up. Aaron gets blessed because he gets to step up. Bob gets blessed because he gets to step up. Stop stealing from blessings from other people. Hey, if you're prideful, I guarantee you, you're in situations where you have to lay it down and ask for help. 
And I got brothers right here right now shaking their head because they know they've been through situations where they had to do that. But listen, they came out better for it. God refines us and sharpens us. And like I said, for those people who are outside and doing their own thing, man, who belong to Christ but making wrong decisions, we need to grieve for them. That's what Paul told the Corinthian church. For those who don't repent, shouldn't you be grieved for them? We need to pray for them. Not get in the way of God. We need to pray for them. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12, Paul says this, isn't it, my responsi- it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as Scripture said, you must remove the evil person from among you. Listen, judging. When we use the term judging here in our culture and our society, it has a bad connotation. I mean, we're automatically assuming you're getting slammed if someone's judging you, right? I don't... For me, anyways, I don't, if somebody said, I'm judging you, I'm like, not in a good way. I never take it in a good way. I'm always saying, oh, what are they looking for? You know, so when they say that, but that's not the case here. <clears throat> when you're judging inside the body, you're judging if someone's having trouble, if someone's falling into sin, if someone's doing the wrong thing, so that you can take appropriate action to lift that person up. It's not about tearing down and throwing out. It's about unity. Not causing division. But it's also about the truth. If someone in the body... Well, wait a minute. You should not really... If you see someone who is struggling and you're witnessing a problem, this should not be you. You should be not be whispering in the corner and planning to stay away from them. That's the world. That is not Jesus Christ. Frankly, where's that in the Bible? You're going to isolate yourself to what? Protect yourself? Because somebody might pollute you? Hey, if you're yoking into the world and they're drawing in the wrong direction, maybe, but this whole thing, I can't look at it. I'll get... What? Actually, it's our responsibility to go to the person, address the issue, first alone, then with the witness. And the goal is this. About face. The goal is this. Stop sinning. It's not going to end well. The goal is this. To repent. And if they do. Here's another thing. If they do. Guess what? They're part of the body of Christ. If they get restored. You're not supposed to isolate from them. Where is that in the Bible? When you get restored, you're not supposed to be looked down upon them. Oh, I can't believe they did that. If they repented and they restored, they're forgiven and washed clean, right? Are you acting that way? And listen, I know trust can be an issue. But you don't automatically distrust them with everything if they've been restored in the body of Christ. Who's the real enemy here? See, when we do that stuff, we're opening the door for Satan to get a foothold. 
And yes, in some situations we have to be super careful. We have to go slow. We have to do all that above. We have to protect the body. We have to do that. But we also need to love those people who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. What are you doing? We have to ask ourselves that. Listen, if you went to somebody and they're in sin and like I said, they choose to do their own thing, that becomes a whole other matter and we start talking about the immoral brother and getting out of the fellowship and the whole bit. That becomes a whole other deal. So if you haven't figured this one out, when, when I'm talking about within the body of Christ, we've got to be careful who we're treating as an enemy. <clears throat> Don't let the world dictate to you how you treat people. Let the word dictate to you how you treat people. Because when you do that, God's doing a work in you at the same time. And listen, we're all different personalities. Some are fighters, some are not. And that's okay. We're different. But some grew up battling, some grew up not. Some grew up in a tougher situation surviving, some not. You know, so our personalities come into play too. But we have to follow the word of God. All right, I might as well just say it, fighter. It was a problem for me. It was a problem for me. When I first got saved, without making this a long thing, you know, the first thing God did was took me away from very close friends because we were doing what I'm about to talk to, talk about. And he removed me from these close friends, and I was one of those guys. I was never a bully, but, man, if there was an underdog or somebody was getting bullied, I'd be the first guy to jump in because I hate bullies. I still hate bullies, but I got to treat them differently. <laughs> but I hate bullies. I mean, I, I know some people will share this. I don't like people in my face. I don't like people yelling at me. I don't like, and you know, now I've gotten used to it now after 14 years. So, but I don't like people yelling at me. And, uh, and my reaction, man, when I first could say it was hard a couple times. After yelling back and forth with Don Butera, that helped me a lot. <laughs> All right. So, listen, what about, we talked about the, the, the church. So what about the world? What about those who are enemies of Christ, obviously, enemies of righteousness, enemies of the children of God? What about people who have hurt you? How about the enemies before you were Christian? You pray, do you find yourself praying that, you know, God wipes them out? Have you been praying that you want their teeth smashed in? How about that their infants be, you know, dashed upon the rocks? You know, it's not that drastic, I know, but listen, when we are attacked for some, it's a battle not to strike back. It's a battle in the flesh not to strike back. One of the apostles struggled with this. One of the apostles was very rash, and everybody's going to know who it is. Somebody say his name. Peter, right. You know, Peter who walked on water, 
Peter, who by the Holy Spirit knew who Christ was. Peter, who preached on Pentecost and 3,000 got saved. Yet and still in moments battle with the flesh and his reaction to people, to the enemy. And he learned a powerful lesson. And when they came to arrest Christ in Matthew 26, 51, it says, But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. In verse 52, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who, those who use the sword will die by the sword. And listen. Honestly, there's a whole sermon just in these two verses right here. There really is. But this is Peter who experienced the power of God. He knew who Christ was. He had a revelation from the Holy Spirit. But the first thing he does when Christ is in, he thinks is in jeopardy, you think he was trying to take the guy's ear off? He was trying to take the guy's head off. And he missed. Or probably trying to take the guy's head off, right? And he missed. And that's how he strikes out. And Christ tells him, listen, those who live by the sword die by the sword. That's not what it's about. He believes he really needs to defend the Son of God. Really? Does the Lord need protecting? Well, no one answered. Bob, what did I do? Does the Lord need protecting? All right, thank you, Jesus. Now, listen, we're, record, we're called to defend the faith, right? To explain why we believe why we, what we believe. And, and frankly, it's an opportunity to share Christ. I'm always going to say that. But the battle always belongs to the Lord. He doesn't need our protecting. In the next verse, he says to Peter, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. What are you doing with the sword? Not only does Christ rebuke Peter, the use of the sword, but he also, he goes over and he heals the servant's ears. Now let's remember who these people are arresting him. They're about to take him so he can be brutally beaten, spit on, mocked, walked to the cross, crucified, die a horrendous death. All right, so let me heal him. Listen, I believe as Christians, as we face assaults from the world, we sometimes take action that emanates from the faith. I'm from the faith, excuse me, from the flesh. We sometimes do the wrong thing. Sometimes we want to scream, and I understand this, and it comes with frustration. Sometimes you want to scream at those who keep coming against the word of God, and they don't make any sense. Sometimes we want to strike back against the unsaved. Sometimes we get, it goes into name-calling and worse. When it comes to heated issues like abortion, sometimes we're the ones who are the derogatory ones. Sometimes even the violent ones. Sometimes protesting to the point of threatening and destroying property. And I'll be the first one to say, maybe I don't know, maybe those people who are, listen, there's been fire bombings, people with proclaiming Christians behind it. And, you know, and I don't know, maybe they're not really Christian. Maybe they're not children of God. But I do know this for sure, that for some reason, in some circumstances, we feel like we have to help the Lord. We feel like, it's going to be us that's going to shake some sense into our enemy. 
Let me remind you, and I, this keeps coming up. John 15, 18. This is what Christ said. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If the world's not hating you and you want to spend all your time in the world, maybe you're part of the world. And I'm just going by what Scripture says. Jesus warns us that just because we belong to him and not to the world, the world's going to hate us. going to try to hinder us from serving the Lord. It's going to try to deter us from following God's word, for living out our lives. It's going to even try to instill doubt for what we believe. And the world jumps at this one because the last bandwagon, the topics like Darwin's the theory of evolution. Oh, that's probably misstated because that's the way it was presented to me. Now it's just evolution to make it more factual. They took the theory part out. All right, side note. One of the things that aggravates me and I have to repent is that little fish with the feet on it with Darwin in the middle in the back of cars. I'd rip that sucker off in about five seconds when I say aggravates like whatever. Because those people are making a statement against Jesus Christ. They might as be spitting in my face and that's how I feel about it. But listen, that's not how we're supposed to act. To everyone, I want to say it's almost inevitable that somewhere, somewhere, at some time, someone's going to dislike you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's expected. Keep, on, keep in mind, we're dealing in this world with the father of lies and his manipulation of the unsaved. He's always going against anything that promotes the kingdom of God. And this puts everybody who's manipulated by him at odds with the children of God because we seek God's guidance and direction and commands and we follow him. Sometimes you'll find out, and some of you probably experience, you don't even have to say anything. When you walk into a dark spiritual place, place and you're carrying the light of the Lord within you, the Holy Spirit, sometimes they don't like you just because. And they don't even know why. If you're a Christian and expect everyone to like you, it's not going to happen. It's not about being liked. We have a responsibility, too, to share the gospel message with people. And I will guarantee you that is not always going to be well received. And sometimes it's, it's just the opposite. You get attacked for it. Accept that you're going to have enemies who are opposed to Christianity. Be careful not to compromise your belief to make friends. Oh, man, this is a big one. Be careful not to compromise your beliefs to keep the peace. And now I've heard this, and I've got to throw this out there because I know someone's going to say it to me, and I'm going to go, that's not what it means. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This verse is talking about godly peace that is never at the sake of righteousness. Listen, if you're going in the direction of compromising your beliefs and not talking about Christ and not going to the Bible because it's going to offend the person you're with because you want to be friends with them or you want to keep the peace, you may be falling into a trap and doing Satan's work for him. What does that say about your faith? 
What does it say about your view of the world? What does it say about your view of enemies of righteousness? Do you think there are any? For followers of Christ, we're to stand firm in God's word. It's wise to remember who the true enemy is, of course, and we all know that. It's the devil. But he's definitely manipulating and maneuvering people that, who oppose us, and we have to react to them. We have to interact to them. We have to respond to the attacks, the frontal assaults, or even under the radar assaults. We have to deal with the lies and the gossips and the destructive rumors that are started And maybe we have to deal with attacks on our family as a way of hindering us. And I'm just talking about me. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you go through. If you're in the body of Christ and you're getting attacked in these various ways, one thing is absolutely clear. How we treat those who have hurt us physically, mentally, emotionally affects our walk in Jesus Christ. It affects the joy that we have. It affects the abundant life that we live. It affects the effectiveness of our ministry. How you react to somebody who's attacking you or doing things to you or assaulting you in these different ways, man puts out one big positive or negative testimony to the world and what you believe is true. And I understand, I've had many conversations with people who have been deeply hurt, maybe as children, maybe molested, by trusted individuals. And in the flesh, you want to hurt them so bad like they hurt you, you want to hurt them so they'll never hurt anyone else again. But the Lord tells us, don't seek revenge. Tells us to forgive. And Matthew 5.38 says, You have heard the Lord that says, Punishment must mask the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist the evil person. If someone slaps you in the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Really? He slaps me in the face. I want to deck him. Really? That's the first. The flesh is going to want you to strike back. But that's not what we're supposed to do. You know, and it's not necessary that using that as an example, but it's not really talking about just a physical attack. The verse is also not about pacifism. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. It's about your testimony and foregoing retaliation. You are submitting to the Lord by foregoing your revenge. You're submitting to the Lord by foregoing your retaliation. We're not to trade insult for insult. And that's what we get stuck, we fall into sometimes. We want to strike back. You can strike back with your tongue just as well as with your fist. Sometimes even more destructively. We're not to strike back and and give offense for offense. Somebody does something against us. We're not to make it even. What? Going to get even? It's not the way it works. This is the call to walk in faith under fire. You want to see how strong your faith is? Be in the face of the enemy and walk in faith. When you avoid, you're not walking in faith. When you isolate, you're not walking in faith. When you won't go and point out sin to a brother and sister in Christ because you love them, you're not walking in faith. When you won't accept them back if they've been restored and they've been repented, you're not walking in faith. When someone gets in your face and offends you and insults you or slaps you and you strike back, you're not walking in faith. 
I didn't say it was easy. It's just true. This is the call to walk in faith under fire. Listen, we are new creations walking in the power of God. We are able to rely on Jesus Christ to do the battling for us always in every circumstance. We rely on the truth of the word to tear down strongholds, false doctrines and arguments. We rely on the Holy Spirit for the awakening when individuals realize they are lost sinners who need a savior. We need to resist the flesh when we desire to strike back. When that desire rears its ugly head, the only sword we should be yielding, wielding, excuse me, is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We need to pray for those who remain unrepentant, who are following the flesh. We need to pray for those who are lost and see through the eyes of the world because they don't spiritually understand. People, these people who are promoting abortion or promoting all these things against God, they're spiritually blind. You want to see real change? Let them get saved. You want to see real change? Have someone become a new creation in Jesus Christ with a renewed mind, seeing the world through Christ's eyes. You know, and that's one thing that amazes me, <coughs> excuse me, when it comes to CareNet, because they've got a situation right now, and the timing is such that when they preach the gospel message and they share Christ, and they ask someone if they want to come to Christ, if they accept Jesus Christ, the first thing they're going to see through the eyes of Christ is that image of their baby. Amen. <coughs> Instead of through the eyes of the world, baggage to be cut. You want to see real change? Let people get saved. That's why we preach the gospel. Why we share Christ. I'm almost done. I'm sorry. I'm going a little long. All right. So for followers, we're going to end with this. So for followers, almost. Followers of Jesus Christ, we have for our enemies. This is what we should have for our enemies. Truth, grace, mercy, hope, compassion, forgiveness, in much prayer. In Matthew 5, 43, it says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children in your father and as your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good and sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are only kind to your friends, how different are you from everyone else? Even pagans do that, that's what it says. But you are to be perfect even as your Father is in heaven. Man, that's, those are strong verses. Those are strong verses. They're also not a call to, you know, yoke to non-believers to hang out with the world. We need to keep it clearly in our mind who the enemies are or how we should act. So today my hope is that God is speaking. I'll ask Kate to come up and do a little bit on the ivories. I'm going to hope that God's speaking to everyone sitting there today. And I'm hoping that maybe you've got a new spiritual awareness when it comes to dealing with people in the world. Or you're looking at things differently. Or you're realizing of things that you've been doing. And I'm hoping that maybe you have a new spiritual awareness when it comes to dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ within the body who are struggling. 
versus those who have chosen the wrong path. How we should, what should we should do there? Hopefully you want to walk in the love that Jesus Christ has poured in you. I don't know we see it. Hopefully you don't want to isolate and act like you're in the body of Christ, but I'm in the body of Christ with these people. Not that person, because you know what they did that one time. Is that how Christ looks at it? Is that through the eyes of Jesus Christ? We have to be careful here because how we act, we may find ourselves being the sinner. Today, I'm going to say, if you're you're struggling with turning the other cheek, if you're struggling for forgiveness, if you've been hurt deeply, if you've been abused... And you're struggling with treating your enemies as Christ has instructed. I want to encourage you to go to the Lord and ask for strength to walk righteously there. I want to encourage you to get down on your knees or even to just go and say one word, one line, praying for your enemy and watch what God will do in your life. I'm going to open the altars. And if you need prayer, please come up. I just want to end with this. We want more of Jesus Christ and less of us. Amen.